Hi, and welcome to Zerk Perspectives, our podcast where we deliver market insights and thought leadership. My name is Jen Hill, and I'm head of customer management for Zurich in Canada. But today I'm excited to get back to my financial line roots. This show will feature our own Dane Hambrook, head of financial lines for Zurich Canada, in conversation with Denise Hall, national broking leader of financial services group Aon Canada, who will share their perspective takes on the market, the reality of leading their teams through it, and thoughts on where we are, how we got here, and where we are going. So let's get right to it. Hi, Denise. Hi, Dane. Thanks for your time today. We're looking forward to discussing uh, the uh, DNO market. It's uh, arguably the most challenging environment in history in our segment. Uh, so those pressures present a tremendous amount of challenges to us as insurance carriers. And uh, certainly we're sensitive to demands it puts on, on you and your colleagues as brokers and the difficult conversations you're having to traverse uh, with, with customers at this point. First of all, 12 to 18 months into this market, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? <laughs> well, thanks, Dane. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. So it's been it's been challenging for sure. There's there's really no doubt about it. I think I think by and large the team is is holding up. I think we've learned a lot over the last 12 to 18 months. We're using different, you know, tools and negotiation uh, strategies than we have had to in the past, um, given the you know prolonged soft market. Every renewal though is challenging and every renewal does bring about heightened communication internally and with our clients about the changes, changes to their renewals. But on a positive note, it's been a real learning experience. We have a saying that we say, you know, rough seas make good sailors. So, you know, the things that we're learning in today's market, you really can't replicate in a soft market. And our communication nationally has been stronger. We've had to look at workload though and capacity issues across the team and and adding some more bench strength. But, you know, we're really focused on being problem solvers for our clients and prospects. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to hear you guys are doing well. I know it's challenging and your metaphor brought up one of the adages we like to see in the East Coast, which is when the tie goes out, you see who's wearing bathing suits and who's not. (laughs) And so that's probably uh, true in this environment as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it is, it is challenging, challenging for us as well. We've, we've had to adapt tremendously on our side of the business. We have a team of 14 at Zurich on the financial line side, seven of which have never been in the office before. So you start looking at those dynamics and how you all try to traverse this new normal, which is this virtual environment that we kind of thought we used haphazardly mm-hmm. before, but really have never really engaged fully in the adoption of this. So that, that's been a challenge of relearning kind of everything We've, we've had to do from client engagement to, to underwriting process, delivering contracts on time. Um, so we've really had to place a lot of emphasis on, on adapting to that particular uh, reality. Um, but at the very heart of it, the most challenging thing for us has been the expectation mismatch you know, uh, from clients and brokers. And, and we've had to figure out how to navigate that. We're very empathetic to the conversations that you and your uh, teammates and, and colleagues are having, having with clients in some cases two or three times into this cycle and those multiple factor increases in, in insurance spend can be a serious issue for clients when they're having uh, you know obviously every dollar counts in this uncertain time so we are uh, trying to deal with that as well at the same time you know one of the things that's challenging is the loss factors and risk drivers have changed so dramatically in the last 18 months 
you know, we're looking at historical uncertainty. We're trying to juggle that knife that is the new, the new pandemic presents, you know, what is it, what does a, a furloughed employee mean? How long can they be temporarily laid off? What are the healthy health and safety uh, protocols of a company? How do they impact lost drivers moving forward? What's the viability of a company when a regulator comes in and shuts you down because of a pandemic? Um, what are the financial solvency standards of a company and a lender when covenants are, are in violation and they're deferred and how long will they be deferred? So everything, all the, all the traditional uh, answers we had to those are, are kind of out the window. So we're all kind of learning uh, as we go. And, and so at a time when bandwidth is probably at an all-time low, you know, our submission rates are up 70% in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I think we're both struggling on how to, how to maintain this, this unprecedented level of, uh, of activity. No, and no. I, I, you know, I, I use this adage and I know I'm not alone, but you know, there's no doubt in my mind that we're in the hardest DNO market in history. I mean, given your breadth of experience, close to 20 years in this segment, I mean, what's your historical perspective on, on, on this market in general and how we got here? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Dane, and everything you just said is um, is so true on on the underwriting side. And I think I think on the broker side, we often think that the underwriters are having much fun in this market, and and it's and it's enjoyable to be having more control. But you know, the volume of submissions and and needing to underwrite every risk and risk selection for sure, there's a lot of pressure. So like, I I feel I feel empathy for you. I might not like every single renewal message <laughs> that you're delivering, but I I do feel empathy for everything you said. It's very interesting, right? Long tail business, prolonged soft market, 15 years plus, and a very quick change in the market cycle. It's hard uh, to price a product, I guess, right? We thought the pricing was good. There was a lot of competition and uh, drove, drove the market pricing down to a very competitive level as well as coverage really broadened. So we enjoyed that value that we brought to clients, broadening out the coverage contract for all types of clients. So yeah, historical view of the market, competitive, just very competitive and a very, very much a buyer-friendly market, even when some companies weren't, weren't doing so well. But Dane, how, what's your view? Like, how did we get here to the point where the market is so challenging? Yeah, it's a tough question because we, uh, you know, we really have really the perfect storm uh, uh, with emergence of, you know, obviously the uncertainty model we're in, but that doesn't explain kind of what's happened in the last 15 years. So, and you use that dynamic, and I think it's a perfect measuring stick. You're talking about 20, kind of 2015. And let's, let's keep it Canadian because we know kind of globally that there's been a lot of ebbs and flows, whether it's Lloyd's or, or the U.S. SEC environment. So what I look at when we look at Canada you know, only 15 years ago, we had a very concentrated industry, principally driven by two or three carriers uh, on the primary space, whether it was for large private or public company DNO. Both of those carriers led and preferably deployed 25 million limits in most cases. And, and most of those placements in this market, uh, you know, would only sit excess of each other in some cases. So you, you look at what a large barrier to entry that was for new capacity providers and new competitors in this market trying to drive immediate scale in a market that frankly wasn't ultimately that large you know we're we're talking about 15 years ago here so we're about 300 to 400 million in GWP in the DNO seg so each of those carriers maybe had 20% if they were lucky um, so you're looking at deployment 
limit deployment strategies that were out of sync with kind of where we were moving towards from a large severity uh, perspective. Then you look at uh, the SCA, uh, security class action environment in general, uh, and severity increasing across the board. Kind of pre-2010, we look at the Canadian landscape, which has been primarily an IPO-led primary market driven exposure model. And we look at the launch of Bill 198 and the statutory secondary market framework and regulation coming in Canada. It just changes everybody's perspective. We're still looking at uh, a lot of carriers being attracted to the Canadian environment, looking to grow their books. And and the the, the new firms arriving, we had eight to 10 capacity players entering the market in that 15-year cycle. So all of a sudden you go from maybe having two, you know, maybe on smaller size, five to 10 primary players, to all of a sudden 50 primary players uh, until about three or four years ago. And that, that, those supply dynamics, supply demand dynamics changed everything pretty dramatically and became clear in 2015-esque, um, kind of five, ten, five, six years ago, that severity and frequency was changing. We were seeing it in our loss ratios. And the price, and we were looking for the price cycle to swing. Well, in our business, first mover on the price side uh, often is is a disadvantage. You have adverse selection as you try to flatten the curve, especially in that supply dynamic where you have a robust, uh, hyper uh, aggressive uh, competition base. So, although most of the carriers need desired rate, nobody had the uh, emphasis and discipline to drive it. 24 months ago, that trend changed dynamically, and maybe principally by Lloyd's, who tend to be an arbitrager and uh, first in, kind of first out in market swings. But the capacity retrenchment was extremely expeditious. Uh, we're not just looking at the, the drawdown of capacity because of pullouts like you know Allianz just recently, but RSA, but also every market in the space drew down capacity on a limit deployment perspective. So I said 15 years ago, we had two or three primary markets really deploying 25 million in capacity. Now that has changed to, in some cases, 15, but a preferred capacity deployment of 10. So now if you had 50 players five years ago, now you have 20 and each of those capacity players is deploying 33% less capital in this market. You know, we're at a fascinating space to see in, in, in this, in this, for most of our industry, we tend to be on the younger front, a frame of, of experience uh, level. 15 years and seems like maybe, maybe ages ago, but it's, you know, 15 years, that's a pretty fast market cycle move to see from, from A to B. So I think it's tremendously uh, fascinating to see where we've come and, and arguably where we are today. And that brings us to again, where what are where are we today, Denise? What are we seeing? How are you how are you managing? What are you seeing from a capacity and a competitive dynamic on your side? Yeah, no, it's it's great. And it, it's it's funny to think about where we were to today and what we're facing today, almost a year post COVID hitting, a year post, you know, the market really dramatically changing. And I think I think everything you said makes complete sense, Dane, but very hard to explain to a client, um, given that DNO is um, a low frequency event, but could be high severity. So many of the clients we're talking to about the profitability dynamics and the capacity dynamics have never had a DNO claim. 
yeah. ever had a payout. And then when you think, you know, Canada last year had 15 claims, that's not, it's not a dramatic amount. And especially for those clients that are just Toronto listed and don't have that U.S. securities exposure. But, you know, where we are today, some clients' renewals are fine. And although there's some capacity action, there's still a lot of competition and a willingness to write, write that account. But on the worst case scenario, the clients that are more challenged and are having some real capacity issues, it is it is tough. And they're seeing some material um, increases in their cost and their premium to attract new capacity to their program, especially on a primary lower limit um, attachment. And so... Yeah, it just, it really depends on the market's view of the risk, how COVID has impacted their business. And so we spend a lot of time triaging our renewals to figure out which ones, you know, more information is needed, which ones a client call is needed. But by and large, that's what our our best strategy is, we feel, is connecting the underwriters to the clients and having them tell their story, having them explain some of maybe the risk concerns in the market. There's no question that some ESG movement and focus has created some capacity challenges. And there's no question that the excess rates are going up at a higher percentage than perhaps the primary. So that's something that we saw right away in the in the harder market uh, last year was that the excess insurers uh, were repricing their percentage of underlying. And at times, which I haven't seen in years, uh, inverted towers where perhaps a new carrier who doesn't have premium in the bank prices that excess attachment, maybe even at times higher than the primary or the first excess. So there's some really interesting market dynamics going on. I'd say for public companies, by and large, coverage has remained intact, except in sort of the worst case scenarios. But on the larger private side, I think the contract is being tightened up a little bit in terms of allocation and some of the exclusionary language. So yeah, it's a very dynamic market. I'd say each insurer is focused on different things. Each insurer has a different strategy. Some insurers are growing a book. Some insurers are quote unquote, amending or fixing a book. Yeah, that remediation, uh, uh element is is everything and probably yeah. to your point probably we're probably talking about a 50 50 dynamic here between the, the markets yeah. that are, are remediating what are you seeing from a client perspective are, are clients uh how are clients navigating the preference and the prioritization from a coverage perspective so if you're if you're seeing a, a, a three-pronged uh a, a double digit increase their clients are clients banking and stripping back some of the coverage or are you seeing them uh, ultimately prefer and prioritize coverage over cost at this point? Yeah, I think definitely prioritizing coverage over cost is 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 where we are today, except in the extreme, extreme case. We talk to clients about different options, right? Do they want to strip the policy way back to just side A only coverage? Just the worst case scenario, the company doesn't indemnify. But by and large, clients aren't quite going there yet. I would say that coverage is more important, but we are having, you know, it's interesting, Dane, we're having a lot of conversations about what the right limit is. Yeah. So in the soft market, you know, clients were adding more and more limit to their program as they had savings on their premium capacity, especially on the high, high excess was very, very inexpensive for that cost of capital. And so 
we're having some great conversations about what is the right limit. That's more the conversation we're having at times where the capacity costs uh, a material more amount, a, a materially greater amount. And then the question becomes, do we really need this limit? Does this make sense for the profile of the company where we're trading our market cap size and things of that nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dane, how do you view today's market? You know, it, it's fascinating. It's so complex. And, and I think I said it earlier, it's kind of the perfect storm where, you know, we forget that this market was shifting pre-pandemic in many ways. And, and really mm-hmm. in Canada, and again, taking a Canadian perspective, you hit it on the head. It really had two vectors of transformation, one being the ESG and sustainability issues at West, which drove capacity right. because of regulatory issues. And then we had the civil code Quebec dynamic, which completely uh, flipped the market in that particular province pretty dramatically because of civil code and potential uh, and rulings principally around SNC related to uh, uh, the bribery scandal and the DOL impact as well well as the recent ruling on the pirate case. So we had two issues and two very, very specific segments of our market that were leading this uh, changing uh, uh, capacity drought. And then fast forward kind of six months into this dynamic, the pandemic hit and uncertainty rolls into this equation on top of a double black swan event at West where oil prices were, uh, were at historical lows. So, you know, a lot that uncertainty uh, in, our, in our business is, is the most difficult to, uh, to, to price. So the, the historical severity and, uh, uh, obviously led to a capacity retrenchment, a limit uh, limit recalibration, complete remediation, and that was probably necessary, but presented tremendous challenges. So for you, you hit it on the head for carriers like ourselves, which probably had had less onus on on remediating, especially on the DNO side to come into uh, accounts which we had no historical relationship with for the first time with no, um, no again, no background, account relationship, uh, no premium on the books at arguably the most uncertain time in its history. You know, the only metric we had to use was, was, was coverage, calibration and pricing. And so capacity really became king pretty quickly in that industry. And in that in that segment, so I think we've navigated a lot of that. To be honest, over the last mm-hmm. twelve months, the most difficult time was when we were front running. I talked about the expectation mismatch when all of a sudden we were passing, you know, multiple twenty plus percent increases to clients and partners like yourself had not been prepared. We hadn't prepared the market. This happened very quickly, and I think within I think as an industry we did a very good job on at least on a transparency perspective and whether clients understood it or appreciated it either way we we at least try to get out in front of it moving forward and i think the best markets were transparent about what they would need in providing clients with with the desire to to get other options if necessary but at least make them prepare from a budgeting standpoint for what was to come and i think that's important piece in all this you know, one of the things, you know, what they say about Wayne Gretzky, he was a great hockey player, not because he was the fastest, mm-hmm. hardest shot, but he, he kind of went where the puck was going to go. In many ways, our industry, you know, we kind of follow the shiny object. So for many years, we were, you know, you hit it on the head earlier when we were speaking around, you know, we were a very financial led 
line of business. It was all a financial restatement peril for the most part. Mm -hmm. And in the last three to five years, the attack vectors and risk vectors in our business have multiplied by 10. All the while we have this social and, and cost inflation in our business on the claim side. So everything takes longer, costs more to settle. So this perfect storm of this max level uncertainty with this historical uh, uh, underpricing regime. But the biggest impact in my view is this just future trend set, which is again, which is I think what we're trying to drive pricing for. So we make sure that we're have a consistent capacity to deploy in, in, for, for long in the future. And I think that's what's driving a lot of this. A lot of the a lot, some of this stuff is being broad brushed in our in our business. And I think that's challenging for you as a broker. A lot has to do with authority recalibration being inserted back into the primary centralized areas of, of New York and in some cases London, which can add add, add uh, pricing friction throughout the process in some cases. And so that's that's challenging. That helps markets like Zurich, who who have authority here, and, and take a Canadian approach to uh, to differentiate specifically. In terms of prioritizing, given the premium inflation, Denise, what, what are you looking at and what are you focusing on with your clients as a broker? Um, how are you kind of trying to differentiate your book versus one risk versus the other? Yeah, no, it, it is a great question. And your point about authority is, is huge. I mean, that was a real slowdown and a pain point in the market when COVID hit was you know, getting the quotes in a timely manner. So, you know, as we focus on our clients navigating this market, it's about getting control back in the market. It's about the market being more predictable and leveling off. Um, we're spending a lot of time with our data and analytics. We can track all the pricing index and we can see where the market is. I think what clients want to understand is that they're getting a fair deal. So we spend a lot of time as a national team talking nationally about insurer, insurer behavior, insurer predictability, and kind of, you know, what is a fair deal, right? What What's not broad brush underwriting? Let's not class underwrite just because someone's a hotel or someone may be connected to the travel industry. You know, what what is what makes sense and like really focused on that sort of problem solving creative. And I think that's what clients want. I think they want a proactive approach, partnership first. And our data tells us that, you know, high 90% of renewals last year stay with the incumbent market. So that was like our best bet, right? Was that partnership, that long-term view of the client. So yeah, we're just trying to um, you know, train our brokers, train the underwriters a little bit. Usually hard markets are quite short in nature. Um, I don't think we're going to be in this hard market for, for 15 years. So I think it's good to have that perspective. So that's what we're really, we're really focused on with our clients. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And the long-term nature is everything. And, you know, that's, that's where, that, that's where you differentiate yourself and, and, and memories, uh, uh, uh Hard markets are short, but memories are long. Yes, <laughs> that's so clients sure. will remember our behavior pretty actively. It, mm -hmm. You know, it, for us, it's about transparency. Right. One of the th one of the most difficult things we're trying to look at is is trying to get a feel of the story. The one benefit, if there, there there's many benefits, but uh, the one real benefit in this challenging moment is it's really brought us closer to our clients again. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, the commoditized nature of our, the pricing dynamics over the last five years and made it challenging for us to get really under the hood of our clients' businesses. 
uh, on a day-to-day basis. And that's changed dramatically. So, you know, on paper, when you're looking at aged financial statements, in some cases, six months out, in some cases, we're looking at audit of financials eight months ago, well, nine, eight, nine months ago is an eternity in the, during these pandemic times. So having the conversation and, and with our brokers trying to paint the conversation about where the ebbs and flows of the business and every business has risk. And mm-hmm. I think that's key. We're looking for partners and insureds who understand what that risk is, measured that risk in a prudent basis. And that's the key for us is just partnering, having those internal discussions. The best clients we have are the ones who treat us like service providers mm-hmm. versus, uh, uh, I'm sorry, service partners versus service providers, right? We're not, we're not analysts looking at a 30 foot level to, uh, to, at the business. We're trying, we want to be partnered in, brought in the room, really shown around and, uh, and really kick the tires on these businesses. And that's the, the pricing has allowed us to do that because it's in a priority for, uh, for the directors and officers of these companies in most cases. I think that we are seeing some changes in the market that gives me a bit of hope that um, the heavy lifting is behind us because we are we are looking at a I think a market that's that's hopefully leveling off and with some capacity coming in. But yeah, Dane, I wanted to ask you um, in terms of our clients, how can we differentiate our clients? Like how how you know I think we talked about client meetings, getting under the hood. Is there is there anything else on your mind that we could do better as a broking community? You know, I think that the introduction of the client on a on a fairly intimate basis. I think in the mm-hmm. last few years, and and I, and I get it from an efficiency standpoint. We've had to do kind of bleacher style meetings, uh, just to be respectful of time and commitment, but really tailoring the markets who are invited to the table to listen mm-hmm. to clients allows us to have a much more robust conversation, especially on a virtual nature. Yeah, that's you know, I, I, we're, We've been uh, writing a lot of new business over the last 18 months. And, and, and actually, we've been able to have some meaningful discussions. But having 20 plus people on a virtual call, there's no intimacy, as you can imagine, and as you're aware. So having a very tailored breakout session. So we really understand and have the opportunity to kind of dig down into, into the business, but not just the business itself. You know, not not just the underlying how how it, it, it's not how the pen is made; it's who's making the pen. And at the end of the day, that's who we're insuring in our business. So, who are the directors? What are the quality of the people? What are their priorities? What's the culture of risk in the organization? That's all. Um, that's all vitally important. And so, Aon does a great and, and does a wonderful job of kind of differentiating uh, your clients from that perspective. But I, I would that would be my suggestion to just potentially just having a more intimate, in, intimate meetings uh, on, on a one-on-one basis. Um, what, Denise, what do you think? I mean, w- w- this is historic time. What do you think the next 12 to 18 months look yeah. like? Yeah, it's a good question. And one that our clients are definitely asking. So we're, we're thinking a lot and we're watching the market really closely. We are seeing some capacity in London and other places come into the market. And I think as, as pricing really dramatically increases, it attracts some capacity. So we're just watching that curve, sort of those green shoots of capacity very, uh, very closely, seeing if it has a tempering effect. But for the capacity to be really meaningful, it needs to be a primary, you know, low excess play, right? Um, We have more capacity in in the higher excess. So we'll just see. 
my hope though is that as i said the heavy lifting heavy lifting is behind us and that we're going to get to a more predictable a more stable market and then we can like risk we can risk differentiate a bit more right so if it's the us traded book that needs more rate let's focus there but perhaps on the toronto listed clients you know the rate adequacy is back or the retention level is back um so yeah that's my hope in the next 12 to 18 months we can get a little bit more authority back in the field. The renewals can be by and large a little bit smoother for a majority of the clients and maybe just focus on those clients that are still a, impacted by COVID, maybe you know financial solvency is a concern or, or an industry class is a concern and really focus there. That, that would be ideal for us. Yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, we're, we're hoping for some semblance of stability. I think that's that's important. Just as as we kind of move move forward here, uh, you know, we're bending a long curve. You talked about a fifteen year uh, period of kind of giving yeah. back rates, so that doesn't change overnight. So I don't think uh, we see a return to kind of that environment anytime soon. But I think predictability, I think, is is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, a market capacity returning and retrenching is is going to be the material factor. Here's the interesting thing that I'm thinking about is Canada really over the last three to five years has been, uh, historically, we've looked at ourselves and in many cases, we were destination or arbitrage for cross-border entities from a pricing standpoint. If a U.S. entity was you know, a North American entity, they'd want to be in the Canadian market from a DNO pricing standpoint. That's not a great testimony. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. That's actually inverted quite dramatically because of the amount of additional capacity in, in the U S versus uh, arguably Canada. So that's an interesting dynamic that has just started to play. The other aspect of this, I find that's fascinating is Canada has become a venture cap destination. Mm-hmm. Now, historically we were uh, very resource oriented and that's obviously been cap. You look at juniors prospectors, and that's great, but the Shopify boom and the immense success of that has led to the tech incubation regulation on, on retail uh, cannabis has led to just a, a complete dynamic change with regards to investor appetite in venture-led uh, institutions. And that's clear, and that's given Canada a lead in, in spaces like psychedelics, mm-hmm. like blockchain, Yep. And so we've looked at Canada, you know, traditionally we looked at our books and the, the public markets here is very sleepy laden, large cap tech, telecommunications led, financial institutions led environment. And we're, we're slowly becoming a very dynamic, very Ben cap, very venture oriented uh, business. And that, that is a much more risk heavy exposure than was tr- traditional. So I, I think we're in this kind of changing vector of, uh, of, 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 a, of a market of where we lead, you know, the amount of activity we're seeing on, on health tech, et cetera, is, is tremendous. Obviously we're seeing a lot of IPOs, yeah. um, but all that comes with the increased uh, exposure in the market and we need the capacity to, to deploy in order to, uh, in order to cater to it. So it's a fascinating time that, you know, the claims deterioration is, is one thing, and, and we're trying to remediate that with, with pricing. But to your point, you know, in the '80s, capacity returned. We seen had a capacity crisis. We had the creation of ACE in the '80s. We had Excel Capital. Yeah. In the '90s, we had Arch. 
Mm-hmm. And arguably in Canada in, in, in the 2000s, we had the uh, Liberty come into Canada on a specialty basis. The, the amount of capital that has returned, although important, is not material at this point, given the amount we've lost. So until we see a real material change on the capacity side, I think we're hopefully in, uh, in going, well, not hopefully, but ho- we, I expect we'll be in this, uh, the, the, the status quo least for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah. But hopefully some predictability uh, moving forward. Yeah, I do. And it's exciting time. Everything you just mentioned for me is is really exciting. The number of IPOs, the different industries, biotech, it, it is. But yeah, it does bring some risk. Maybe maybe more retention. Maybe we could address <laughs> it with retention than, you know, always pricing. But, uh, but, we'll, but we'll, we'll work through it together. I think that's the key. It's never boring and it's always fun. Yeah, I love it. It's always fun talking to you, Denise. I appreciate your time. No, thank you, Dane. Thanks so much for having me. So we heard that this market is not an easy one for anyone, underwriters, brokers, and ultimately our customers. Transparency and predictability emerged as key themes from both perspectives, along with the need for true partnership while navigating the market dynamic. Underwriters are relishing the return to robust conversations with their customers about their risk. Brokers are working with customers to reevaluate their needs, limits, retentions, terms and conditions alike, and build truly customized programs to address them. While the current market will not last forever, it has certainly underscored the need for sophisticated brokers and markets with capabilities and the breadth of experience of an Aon and Zurich to navigate it today and as it continues to evolve. Thank you for listening to the Zerk Perspectives podcast. And as always, you can find our podcasts on the Zerk Canada website, and you can send your suggestions to ca.podcast at zerk.com. Take care and be well. audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained herein may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice. And accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.